thank you for your wisdom. Just enlighten our hearts and our minds. guys can seat. Sit down. Welcome to the afternoon. <laughs> I forfeited my nap today to go and hang out with some of my very best friends and I'm my love tank is very full right now. So my I'm, my sleep tank is empty but my love tank is really full. So we're so excited to be here again. And this morning, wasn't this morning so awesome, man? God just moved. It was so great. I love, I have loved being in this church. It's been so fun. You guys are so friendly. I think I literally was like, if I lived to Ardmore, this is where I'd go. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Just saying. For sure. <laughs> yeah, so guess what we're going to talk about today? The funnest thing that we don't like to talk about in church sometimes is deliverance and so we're going to talk about that it's going to be really fun so actually what I do for my job is um, I work for the school of ministry at Bethel and I run what we call the freedom course and it is what it says it is it is the course that gets people free and so um, when students come in and they apply for the school sometimes they um, through the interviewing process you know, we find out they might be struggling with substance abuse, or they're smoking, or they're having trouble with pornography, or whatever it may be. And so they go directly into this course. And then some students, as they're in school, they probably lied on their application. And then it comes up sometime during school that they have something going on like this. And then they go through the course. And part of it is we have curriculum, and then we do small groups. And we just go after it. We talk about all the things you don't talk about in church, basically. And what's really cool is we've seen that kind of stigma break. That stigma of like, oh, no, we don't talk about that. We don't say that. We don't say that word in church. And um, we're seeing that there's an excitement building because people are actually getting hope. Like, oh, my gosh, I can actually get free of this. Like, I don't have to live with this. And I don't have to stay in the dark. I can actually bring this into the light. And shame dies when you bring it into the light. So it grows in the dark, but when you bring it into the light, it breaks. And that's why the Bible talks about confession and bringing things into the light, because Jesus knows that. He knows that when we bring things into his light, he is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the light, and the life. And when we bring things into the light, they have no power over us anymore. It breaks the power of it. So we want to talk to you about getting free from those things that we don't talk about. And it's actually really easy, and it can be fun. Deliverance is fun. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be this, you know, hush-hush, terrible thing. It's actually really fun to be free. It's kind of addictive to be free. Um, when that light bulb comes, off, comes on for students, it's the best feeling in the world to get to see them walk without shame and get to walk in freedom. 
And, um, and I just want to break the lie that the devil is more powerful than Jesus. Because it's not true at all. Jesus died and he paid the price so that we could walk in freedom. And we actually already have freedom and access to freedom. Freedom lives inside of us if we're a Christian and we believe in Jesus. We already have access to it and we are victorious already. But we might have things in the way like lies or sin or unforgiveness, generational curses that that keep us believing that we can't be free. And so today we just want to give you some practical tools on identifying the roots of some of these things in our life so that you can get free if you're struggling and also so you can walk other people into freedom because we know from even this morning, this church is on a road of acceleration And as the Lord starts moving and the Holy Spirit is falling in this place, people are going to be coming that need freedom. And they need people that know how to walk them into freedom. And so you guys are a body that is full of light and freedom, and you get to walk people into that. And that's exciting that Jesus trusts you to walk his kids into freedom. Um. So, yeah, the devil doesn't have power. He's not scary. And, he, and, and I think it's important for us to know that we have authority. Jesus gave us authority. He said that we will walk in these, we will do these things and greater. Jesus cast out demons. And actually, you know, um, the word says in Mark 16, 17, In my name, you will cast out demons. The command is to cast out demons, and it's not actually an ask. It's a command. He says, go in my name and cast out demons. So do you think he would ask us to do something that he didn't already empower us to do and give us the authority to do? So we have the keys. We have the authority. And I think um, some people can... For some reason, probably because of media and the way some things have been portrayed, you know, the exorcism and things like that. (laughs) It's this big, scary thing, and people shy away from it or think that only, you know, Catholic priests can do it or something like that. And that's not the truth. The truth is all of us have been commanded to cast out demons, and you have the authority. So one of the things that I like to... um, say and is just you know fake it till you make it so I don't like to I put on a poker face when I'm doing deliverance even if it's weird or it gets a little bit crazy I'm like no I have the authority you can't touch that you can't touch me you don't have authority you can't speak to me and um and one thing that Johanna and I both believe is that demons don't even deserve our attention so uh, we don't even need, I know some people train deliverance to ask the demon its name. We actually don't do that. We, we don't care. I don't really care what your name is. You need to leave. So I'm not friendly with them. I don't want to have a conversation with them. I don't want to talk to them. And if they do talk to me, I tell them to be quiet because I have authority over you. So that's kind of our, our thought on the matter. 
So there's lots of different things that, you know, can give access to the enemy in our lives. Um, one of those is believing lies. Those lies can come in in many different ways. So it could be that um, you were really young, um, and this is a common one that I see, is um, two, three years old, and you go to your dad for attention, and your dad doesn't have time, you know, at that moment, and so you feel rejected. So you take on this lie that I'm rejectable, people don't have time for me, my voice isn't important, and you believe that lie at a very, very young age, and so everything that you do, everything that happens to you is filtered through that lie. So if someone even looks at you funny, you think that they're rejecting you, and it may not even be you at all, but you're viewing it through a lens of, I'm rejectable, and I don't matter. And so one of those access doors is having lies in our life that we're believing. And guess what? It's super easy to identify lies. You can actually just close your eyes. Let's do it actually real quick. Close your eyes. And say, Holy Spirit. Are there any lies I'm believing? If you heard something... Give me like a little wave. We do Zoom waves. Yeah, pretty much a lot of people. <laughs> I know you don't like Zoom. I teach on Zoom all the time. so And we do this thing called Zoom waves. So like Zoom waving all the time. Um, so it's really common to have lies that we've believed. And it could come from so many different sources. And the good thing is, is that we don't have to spin our wheels trying to figure it out. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we can ask him. So when you're leading somebody through deliverance and you identify a lie, often I listen for lies. So it's really easy to identify if you pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you. So if I have some, uh, somebody who's talking to me and they keep mentioning that, you know, they're, uh, they're rejected a lot, that's pretty clear and um, to me that they're dealing with a spirit of rejection. So then I get to go after what's the lie that they're believing. Um, so I pay attention to words that people say over and over and over again. Or maybe it's a common thing that's happening in their life over and over and over again. I pay attention to those things. So um, many lies identify themselves when you're talking to people. And um, some common lies, I'll just give you a couple, are I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I won't ever come fill in the blanks. I can't overcome. I'm powerless. My voice doesn't matter. No one hears me. God is good to everyone except for me. I'm responsible for other people's pain or problems. I'm the cause of other people's problems. I'm selfish for choosing myself. I'm selfish for resting. I have to meet my own needs because God won't meet them. Those are just some common ones, and the list goes on and on, but those are ones that I hit on a very regular basis. Um, 
you know, I like to do with students is whenever I identify the lie, I'll ask them, okay, will you close your eyes? And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where did this lie start in my life? And then they can go back to maybe it was a situation. Let's go ahead and do that because earlier we had them identify okay. lies. So let's yeah. do that as a group. Yeah, so if you had a lie that came up a minute ago when you asked the Holy Spirit, why don't you just say, Holy Spirit, when did this first start? He might show you a memory. And sometimes they don't make sense. It might seem like it's a very small thing, that something that happened to you that was super insignificant. But it doesn't take much for the enemy to lie to us, and he likes to lie. So if he showed you where that thing started, where that memory started, you can just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you come and heal this place? So one of the things we like to do is um, have students picture themselves at the age they were when it happened. And then something that you can do is you can kind of Re, you can help yourself overcome it by um, speaking truth to yourself. So I'll picture myself as five years old. Say it happened to me when I was five. I was rejected when I was five. I'll picture myself at five years old. And I'll say, Katie, I'm so sorry. Little Katie, little five-year-old cute Katie. I was really cute. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It's really easy to have compassion on a little kid, right? Not so easy sometimes to look at yourself in the mirror and have compassion because you're an adult and you think you should have it together. But when you look at the little kid who was hurt, it's really easy to have compassion on that, that little five-year-old me. I'll say, Katie, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry that you believed that lie. The truth is that anyone would want to be your friend. And to know you is to love you. The more I get to know you, the more I love you. And then you can hug that little version of yourself. And there's healing that happens in that process. And you can invite the Holy Spirit too. So let's do that with the audience. Um, also, I just really felt like to say if you we're going to walk through this. So what she just did, we're going to close your eyes. And you're going to use your imagination. Remember, our imagination is sanctified. Um, it's a, where the, the Lord speaks to us many times. But if you are struggling while you go through this, as you close your eyes, raise your hand. And um, a few of our, our students can just come lay their hand on you and just pray with you. Because sometimes it's, it's a struggle. When, when the enemy's got a lie that's really rooted in there, sometimes you just need a friend to come and pray over you. So why don't you lead us through that again and just bring, bring back yourself back to that memory or that person when she leads you through this. And we're going to do this as a congregation. So Holy Spirit, what lie am I believing? You can close your eyes and ask him.
And then you can say, Holy Spirit, when did this lie first start? He shows you a memory. I want you to say, Jesus, where are you right now? I thank you that your presence is here. You never take us to a memory for it to be scary or to bring up pain, but you only bring up these things because you want to bring healing and you want to bring restoration because you're a God of restoration and a God of love. So I thank you right now that you're in the room. this is hard for you or you just feel stuck, go ahead and raise your hand and our team can come pray with you. It's okay to be vulnerable. You're safe. Okay, for some of you, there might be a memory that came up that is a person, something that someone did to you. When that happens, it's important for us to forgive. Unforgiveness keeps us in bondage. And that can be hard because sometimes it's hard to forgive a person because you feel like it actually says that what they did to you was okay, but that's not the truth. The Bible says you forgive because I forgave you first. And so we always forgive. And sometimes that takes, that's hard, I know that. From experience, it's really hard. So if that memory, you need to forgive a person, I want you to picture Jesus with you, and I want you to walk up to that person. Picture the person standing in front of you that you need to forgive. And Jesus is standing next to you, so you're perfectly safe. If that person abused you, if they hurt you, if they violated you, you're safe. Because Jesus is with you. And again, if this is hard to do and you just need a little extra help, go ahead and raise your hand. Our team will come and just surround you. Vulnerability is safe here, guys. Nobody's going to judge you. It's hard to forgive sometimes. All right, so you're going to picture the person in front of you. And you don't have to say it out loud. You can just, in your imagination, I want you to just say the person's name and I forgive you for. 
And then I just want you to go through and be as honest as you can what you forgive them for. And you can say, I forgive you for making me feel. And you can say all the things that they made you feel. And now I just want you to say, Jesus, I repent for holding unforgiveness towards this person. I release this person from all judgment that I've held towards them. And then you can put that person's hand in Jesus' hand and you can walk away. For some of you, you might need to go through that process several times with different people. But I want to walk you through that because that is a huge tool that you can use anytime you hit unforgiveness when you're walking someone through deliverance. It's important to walk people through and give people an opportunity to forgive because if you don't and you go through the deliverance with a person and there's still that door of unforgiveness open, the enemy still has access and can come back. And so we want to close all the doors whenever we're walking somebody through deliverance so that, you know, the Bible says it, the enemy can come back with seven other friends. If we don't close the door and all the access points that the enemy has, then they can have the opportunity to come back. And we don't want that torment for them. So it's easy and simple to walk people through forgiveness with whatever I've had to walk people through that 20 times before. Sometimes I'll send students home and have them do it with themselves, just walk through unforgiveness. It's a huge key, and anytime someone hurts you, you can walk yourself through that, that forgiveness process. Okay. Um... I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about kind of the semantics, if that's the right word, of deliverance. So Katie 
really touched on unforgiveness and lies. Um, we really do need to clean out the unforgiveness and the lies before we can start really going deep into the spirits are, that are tormenting people. Um, when you are dealing with somebody who has unforgiveness and they're not willing to forgive, it actually is continuing to, to keep the door open to the enemy. Um, unforgiveness is essentially saying, that person has power over me. I mean, we've heard that, right? Even the secular world knows that, that when you don't forgive somebody, they have power over you. But it's spiritual. So, you know, it's, it's super important that we walk through unforgiveness first. Um, and then also really walking through forgiveness with the Father, because sometimes we have sin in our life. Um, sometimes the thing we believed was a lie, and we've sinned against God because we're not believing him. And so we have to ask for forgiveness for that. So sometimes you're going to have to go through with yourself or the individual and, and just say, okay, Lord, is there any sin that I need to be forgiven for? And, and lay that out because, again, that's, that's a door that's open. That's something that the enemy can use to, to, to affect you. So those are just a few things. Um, Katie talked to us a little bit about this, but one of the things I, I do um, in deliverance is before I start going after any type of um, stronghold is I bind, muzzle, and gag the spirit that I'm dealing with. And, um, you know, it, it talks about, she already said this, um, in Matthew 12, 29, you can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder the house. I do not believe, Katie and I do not believe that um, I'm just not okay with the enemy speaking when I'm doing deliverance. I've seen too many times people, you know, you hear the demons speak, or I've seen people's heads turn around. I've seen people throw up. I've seen all of these things. Um, and every time that I've seen it, I actually see fear sown. And what that does is that gives the enemy a right to come into the deliverance session through fear. And God is bigger than fear. And if God is bringing freedom to somebody, why, I mean, this is just me, but why would I allow the enemy to have a foothold into what I'm doing? So I always, I always bind it because I don't, I don't think a person I'm doing deliverance on should have to feel pain, you know, should have injury. I've seen, I've seen people, I've been doing deliverance for 22 years and I've seen people break their arms because they were thrown up back behind because we didn't bind bind the spirit and it had control over their body. So I bind it, I muzzle it. It does not get to speak. It doesn't get to use any mouth. I don't want to hear its name. It's not important to me. Just like Katie said, it's not important to me. It doesn't get to tell me. I've, I've, I've been in situations where a demon starts trying to say things against me to scare me or scare the person that I'm doing deliverance with. And it's like, this isn't necessary. Your tactics are not going to work because it knows what's happening. Okay, the verse, it says we are commanded to cast out demons in Jesus's name. The enemy is aware of what's happening and it's going to do everything it can to stop it. So I muzzle it, cannot say anything, and then I gag it. I don't want to even hear any, hear any noises. I've, I've heard people scream. I've heard people, I, one time I was doing deliverance, 
before I started bind muzzling and gagging stuff and somebody hummed at me and it was the freakiest hum I've ever heard. And so once I started doing this, bind muzzling, gagging the spirit, the deliverance went so much easier. The spirits went so much easier because the person inside was not dealing with fear and the attention was not on that spirit. Spirits are attention seeking. They want all the stuff to be away from the Lord, okay? Um, now, I know some people go, well, then how do you know that it's gone? Um, a lot of times when you bind muzzle and gag a spirit, people start burping. <laughs> they start yawning. I've had people fart. <laughs> um, you start, your fingers start tingling. Your toes will start tingling. So there's, there's ways that the Holy Spirit will still show us. People have coughed. Show us that, hey, I've expelled that thing. Also, peace comes over and people are like, yeah, I feel lighter. I feel different, you know. Um, but I, I, we never give the enemy the right or the permission to take over for the voice of the Lord. We never give them the authority in the room. And one of the best ways to do that is to bind, muzzle, and gag. One of the things I like to say is the heart of the father is not to traumatize somebody. And the heart of the father is to give freedom. And fear does not get to be louder than the truth. Um, so that's why it's so important. Just It's just three. And it's very, very simple. I always say, in the name of Jesus, I bind, muzzle, and gag. And then whatever spirit I think I'm, I'm dealing with. And I'm going to talk about how you identify that in a minute. But it's just boom, boom, boom. Yes, I know it sounds like a formula, but it works. And um, sometimes, I will tell you in a deliverance session... The spirit will, will try to start talking again, and so I'll stop what I'm doing, and I'll say, no, I told you to be quiet in Jesus' name. You've been bound in Jesus' name. This is not your time to talk because it thinks it's sneaky. So um, that is, that's just a little tool and a help. I usually start with after we go through forgiveness or even in forgiveness, um, if I see, see spirits start to, to talk and try to manifest, I'll start then and say, I'm going to deal with you later. Right now, I'm, right now I'm talking to Katie. I'm not talking to you. And, and I'll bind, muzzle, and gag it right then. Um, in Isaiah 16.1, you know, Katie already talked about how we are commanded um, to cast out demons. But Isaiah 61.1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, Proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners. So there's another place in the Bible that says this is what God's asking us to do. That he is asking us to give freedom. We have the freedom. And, and it's not necessarily just, just remember, this is for you too. So it's not the people out there. It's for you. It's for your family. It's for your friends. You know, when my, my son gets scared in the middle of the night with a bad dream, one of the first things we do is we go after the spirit of fear because it needs to be part of our everyday life. And it's simple. Yeah, and I think, too, it's important. You, you know, a lot of times we pray, and we pray um, kind of wimpy prayers, like, like um, Jesus, will you just take this thing away? And I think you need to come with authority and you need to command it to leave, period. Like, no, ask it. Don't be polite. Demons aren't polite, so don't be polite to them. Like, tell them to leave in Jesus' name. Um, and so instead of 
um, you know, oh, I just, I hope it leaves. Jesus, will you just come pray a commanding and powerful prayer? And know that you have the authority and it has to leave, period. So we've said this a few times. We've talked about open doors. Um, in Mark 9, 21, there's a really good example of Jesus dealing with a child that was tormented since childhood. And Katie gave some really good examples of open doors. Um, but I want to give you about eight, um, eight ways that you know that demons are entered. But before I do that, when I say an open door, you got to think about it this way. So think, think about your life as a hallway, okay? And down the hallway are all these doors. Okay, that's your life. And the doors that are open are the ones that the enemy can walk in and walk out of into your life. That's the hallway. And the ones that are the closed are the ones the enemy has no right to come into. And the way the enemy came in was, was what we're going to talk about here in a minute. But, so that's just what I want you to picture when you hear us say, you have an open door. Okay? So eight ways that demons typically enter. I mean, this is just, just eight top ways. There's probably others, and the Lord will show you. The first one is you've inherited it through a family line. You know, we talk about generational curses. Um, testimony in my life is there's a lot of addiction in my family. And I've done a family research, and it's gone back ever since there was records of my family um, of, of addiction and alcoholism. So that's a generational curse that I've had broken over my life. And that's one thing I have to watch for. If I see something that's an addictive behavior in my life, I immediately go into, no, I broke the generational curse of addiction in my life. I forgive my family. I forgive my ancestors. And I, I walk myself through that. So that's, that's things in the family life. That lying, there's lots of lying, deception, perversion, rejection. All of these, these things come through the generational generational curses. You can also have sicknesses as a generational curse. Not, not all the time, but I would say sometimes diseases that we have, we pass on to our children, um, are actually spiritual. They're in our generational DNA. So that is, that is one of the ways that enemies can come and influence us. Another one is negative parental influences. Um, another testimony, I was abused when I was a child. I was neglected. I was abandoned by my, my dad. Um, I come to find out, talking about generational curses, my mom was abused by her dad, and her mom was abused by her dad. And these are, so all my family ever knew is abandonment and abuse. So that's how I grew up, was an abandonment and abuse, right? So that's how the enemy was able to come in and influence my life before I began to walk through a journey of, of deliverance. Um, another one is um, pressures in early childhood. Katie, great example. Five-year-old little Katie feeling rejected or three-year-old feeling rejected. Just trauma that happens in your childhood. Getting into a car accident that happens in your childhood. Feeling like when you're in kindergarten, nobody likes you. I know that seems really simple, but for in your childhood years, psychology talks about it over and over again. If you feel rejected as a child, that actually affects your way, your ability to be to go into grow into adulthood. So things that happen to us um, as children can really affect and, and open the door for the enemy to come in and, and affect us later on. Um, emotional shock or sustained emotional pressure. Um, a good example, I, 
My, my father left when I was 10. My mom was an addict. My sister was an abuser, emotionally abused. So I was emotionally abused from eight to 15, and my father wasn't around. So I had emotional shock pretty much every single, every single day of my life from eight, from eight to 15 until I left. I left home when I was 15 years old. I got out. Um, but that was emotional trauma for me, and I had to, in my adult years, begin to unpack that and look and see through what was being said to me in, when I was eight, when I was nine, when I was 10. And by the way, it wasn't the sister that was here earlier today. So uh, I have a lot of family. Um, I, had to, I had to learn to, to unpack that. But this can even be as simple as having the emotional pressure of having to perform all the time. You have to have straight A's. You have to be the captain of the football team. You have to be the, the chess player. You have to be the cheerleader. You have to be beautiful. You have to be skinny. Your whole life, that emotional pressure opens the door to the enemy. Another sinful acts are, are habits. We've already talked about pornography, masturbation, um, sex outside of marriage, um, lying. Any of the Ten Commandments, pick one. You know, if any of those sinful acts gives, gives the enemy permission to affect your life and to come in and be a stronghold. Um, a false religion. So if you um, were ever in a different religion other than Christianity, um, if you've had any idols, if you've been involved in any type of witchcraft or new age um, reading horoscopes, things like that, the enemy is able to come in through that. Um, idle words and word curses. Sometimes when we gossip and we say things about people, we're actually cursing them. And they're actually cursing us. So we have to be, you need to be careful what you say about your friends and your family. And you need to, to cut that stuff off of you. I, I do it every once in a while. I just go, Lord, I just break any word curse, anything that anybody has ever said against me, because I don't know what people say about me behind my back. Um, but that can open the door. And then lastly is um, being a victim of something beyond your control. I've already talked to you guys about the abuse in my family. So that's a pretty obvious. I was a victim that was beyond my control. That's something I did not ask my, my family to do that to me. So that, that was a big open door in my life. So, um, so those are kind of eight ways that demons enter. But let's talk about how do you know somebody uh, is dealing with a stronghold, is dealing with a demon. And also, I like to say strongholds more than demons. They're the same thing. But when you tell somebody, you have a demon, <laughs> it scares them. It makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. Well, there is, but you know what I mean? And it creates shame. Yeah, and there's just no reason. To right. So we are, we're using both words right now, but I would, I would say if you're ministering somebody, I would say stronghold. Because also, I don't know about you, when I hear demons sometimes, I think of the exorcism. And some, you know, one, again, one time I was doing deliverance on somebody, and they're like, am my head going to start spinning? No, <laughs> it's not. Um, so I, we use the word stronghold because it, it just, it's a nicer way to say you're dealing with a demon. And, and that's, that's how God... God likes to deal with us gently. So, but how do you know there are demons? Um, first thing, these are five ways, five clues. Um, it's kind of like detective work. It's kind of fun, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, 
There's behaviors a person can't control. Uh, Katie deals with this. Oh, go ahead. Like twitching or like, um, well, like if somebody is addicted to something. Yeah, addiction, totally. Substance abuse, smoking, they're like, I have no control over this, I can't stop. Those are really good indicators that there's something going on there. Um, lying, if you've ever known somebody who lies and they have no idea why they're lying. Um, you know, sexual sin, somebody who just is continually in that kind of lifestyle. Um, that's a behavior, and they're just like, I want to stop, I don't know why, I don't know, something just comes over me. Those are behaviors they cannot control, okay? Um, another clue, clue number two, extreme mood changes. Now, I do believe in mental health, okay? We're not saying that everybody who has a mental health problem is demon-possessed. People really do have mental health problems, and there's medicine, and there are doctors, and there's counselors to help you and to heal you for that. But sometimes it is a demon. And you get to go on a journey with the Lord to figure out which. And sometimes it's both, okay? But sudden moon changes. If, if all of a sudden you're angry all the time and you don't know why. Or your friend just seems to be depressed all of a sudden and there's no reason for it. Um, even, just, even if there's a trauma that comes in. That's, a lot of times a stronghold will come in and depression will come in because of, of, a, of a trauma. Uh, those are those are sudden mood changes. Okay. Third one is a craving for power. Somebody is is has is is um, has a stronghold. Um, sometimes rejection. You'll see a stronghold rejection. You'll see somebody trying to have power and control over everybody because they don't want to be rejected. That's one of the ways the spirit of rejection. And I'm actually going to talk to you about how the spirit of rejection shows up because it's one of the big ones, and I think most people in the world deal with the spirit of rejection. Um, but anyway, all the same, a, a sudden desire and craving for power. And then uh, fourth one is persistent, uncontrollable, bad habits. Just, I know we talked about behaviors, but just all of a sudden they just keep doing the same bad, weird thing over and over and over again, and they've never been a person that's, or you've never been a person to have that kind of bad habit. Uh, there's something going on there. And then the last one is a pattern of victimization. If you see in your life um, that you, if people start telling you, hey, that you kind of sounded like a victim, or you notice the words come out of your mouth um, that are very much like, well, people, nobody likes me, and uh, nothing ever works out for me, and and um, I, I never get to you. Um, or you see somebody else that's like that. Um, that's that's there's a spirit there. That's a power pattern of victimization. So those are the the, the five clues that you're dealing uh, with demons, typically. Are you guys doing okay? Okay, good. All right, um, so I'm going to talk to you about what I like to call the rejection tree. Um, I like to talk about rejection a lot because, like I said, everybody has a rejection. Um, I'm not trying to speak that over you. It's just we live in a, in a world. It happens. Um, but I will tell you, I think rejection was one of the hardest things I've had to conquer in my life. And it's something I continue to have to fight all over and over and over and over again. Um, obvious reasons. I've told you so much about my background. 
why wouldn't I have to fight that? Um, but I like to talk about the rejection tree and kind of just some ways that rejection enters and then um, kind of how you see people and yourself respond to rejection, okay? So the first, one of the first ways it happens is the manner or timing of your conception. So you can actually need deliverance for things that happen to you before you are born. We've talked about generational curses, but the way that you were conceived, um, I know there's kids in here, so I'm trying to be careful. <laughs> but if it was an aggressive way that you were conceived, we can put two and two together, right? Um, that can bring a lot of rejection on somebody. If you were conceived and then you were unwanted and that was spoken over you by a parent or even a family member, that, that rejection comes in and it will affect you for the rest of your life. Um, another way is um, when you're in the womb, the messages of rejection while you're being bored, you know, scientists say that children can actually recognize voice and tone. Uh, they did a study with Russian and American mothers a few years ago, and they had the Russian mothers speak to their babies, speak to the Americans' babies over and over and over and over again, and the Americans speak to the, mother, the Russian babies over and over and over again. And when they were born, the babies would turn their head to the Russian accent. The American babies were turning their head to the Russian accent. And the Russian babies were turning their head to the American accent. So babies in the womb can hear tone. They can hear voice inflection. They can hear accents. So if you are, were in the womb and your parents were fighting or your mom was going through trauma and a car accident or you were unwanted and you heard that over and over all the time, that can cause rejection to come in and really kind of set that foundation as, your, as a child. Um, the manner by which you were born. Um, sometimes, again, if, if it's a violent birth, people who go through a C-section, I had to have three, three C-sections with my kids. Um, so when I finished having my kids, we prayed about, like, I wanted you. It wasn't, I had a C-section because I wanted you. <laughs> Um, because it's just very violent. A C-section is very violent. That's the reason for it. It's not like I did anything wrong. It's just, it's a very violent, traumatic event. It's not the way God wanted it to happen. It had to happen to save my life and my children's life. Um, and so we prayed through that. But that's one of the reasons why with a C-section we go through that. And then um, the lack of physical bonding with the mother. This does not mean, and I had to deal with this um, this does not mean that if you, breast, you don't breastfeed your children that they don't bond with you, that you've rejected your children. I couldn't. I was, my body was not made for that. So I bonded with my children otherwise. What this means is when a mother refuses to bond with their child um, or you were adopted and bonding wasn't, wasn't done. That's what this means. This is not... I know some people out there would say different, but... I just, you don't have to breastfed your child to have bonded with them. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, you, is your mother or your father not bonding with you when you were born. Okay. Um, and then, being an adopted child, we talked about hereditary rejection. 
Um, you know, <laughs> I'm a kind of a history nerd, and I look at all the kings and queens all in Europe, and I see how, like, when they're born, they're pushed off to a nanny, and, I, and then you wonder why they're screwed up later on in life. <laughs> like, you just, and, and oh, you only get to see me when you're quiet and good at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for tea time when, you can, when you're, like, 5. I spend an hour with you every day. I'm a good parent. Like, that's... I always, I'm always like, yeah, that's why they're so messed up. <laughs> um, but that's, hered- that's a common hereditary rejection, right? It's, or it's like the father wanted a son. The mother wanted a daughter. And they didn't get what they wanted. So I don't want to be, you're not what I wanted. So it goes both ways with that. Um, factors in family home. Trauma, financial problems, divorce. Um, fighting, the death in the family. You know, you as a child, if you lose a parent, can feel rejected that that parent died. And that's okay. I've dealt with that in deliverance, having people just go through the fact that I know your dad died and it felt like he, he left you and you felt rejection from that. And, and you have to walk people through that. And I've seen people get shame from that because they're like, my dad couldn't control the fact that he died. That's okay. You still feel the rejection. So we're still going to deal with that. Um, problems caused by teachers and schoolmates. Okay, everybody raise your hand. When have you been in school and someone treated you bad? <laughs> if not, I wanted your life. <laughs> I mean, it happens to everybody. And it may seem small, someone stole my pencil, but you, that happened again when you were six, when you're learning about yourself, when we're dealing with your childhood. So it's okay to talk to the Lord and forgive somebody for stealing your pencil when you're six. Okay, it's not a small thing. It, 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 does, it affects our relationships later on. And then um, another one, self-rejection caused by one's own attitudes. Uh, Katie talked a little bit about that as well. But if you don't think, if your family or your friends don't think you're good enough, sometimes you don't think you're good enough, so you start rejecting yourself. They saying things like, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I'm ugly. Why can't I get this right? That's all self-rejection. And then the last one is painful factors later on in life. Trauma that you get fired from your job, you break up with somebody, um, there's an accident that you're involved in, you're disappointed. Even small disappointments can cause rejection to come in. So those are all kind of the roots of rejection, okay? That's where they get to grow. Well, these all create three things I like to say are the fruit of rejection. So when rejection comes in this way, this is what the fruit looks like. Um, You either typically have aggressive reactions, talked about control and power. Um, People get into a situation and they... Instead of knowing how to handle the situation in a healthy way, they get aggressive and defensive and they'll go on the attack. And that's rejection. That's fear of rejection or self-rejection. It's, I'm not going to let you reject me, so I'm going to get in your face first. Okay, so that's one of the fruits of rejection. The other one is um, self-rejection symptoms. I don't believe in myself because my family didn't believe in me. I don't believe in myself because nobody wanted me, so I'm not worth anything. I'm not going to go for the job. I'm, I could never get my dream job. Nobody's ever going to love me. Those are all those types of things. Self, those are the words we use for self-rejection. Can I, can I add to that too? Yes. It's um, suicide, self-harm, all of those things. Anything you're doing to yourself to harm yourself, that would fall under that self-rejection symptom. 
And then I'd say the last thing would be a fear of rejection. Not even being rejected, but being afraid of being rejected. Not even putting yourself out there because you're afraid someone's going to reject you. Performance is yeah. a huge one. Yes. I struggled with that one. So performing, because if, you perf if you're perfect and you do everything right, then people can't reject you. So performance is actually rooted in rejection. Fear of rejection, yeah. So what do we do? We've got these three things as a fruit of rejection. Well, we counter them. So I talked about this morning about in prophecy, how when we pro prophesy, if we feel like the Lord has something negative he wants to say, we ask the Lord for the solution, and we, and we prophesy the positive. You do the same thing with rejection. When you cast out the spirit of rejection, fear of rejection, self-rejection, um, you then you come in and you counter it. And you, I will actually have a person say the opposite. So if somebody is dealing with self-rejection and they say, I'm just, I, I am just so ugly. I'll actually make them look in the mirror and, and start saying, I'm beautiful. I'm one of the most beautiful people in this room. I am not fat. I am gorgeous. My family sees me as beautiful. The Lord sees me as beautiful. If I see somebody that's aggressive, first of all, we got to make sure we're dealing with the unforgiveness, right? <laughs> um, but then, then I walk them through, okay, I want you to actually feel the aggression come up. And then say, instead of reacting the way you're reacting, how does God want you to react? And just walking them through that so that they can see, oh, this is the healthy way to do it. Once we've dealt with all that and we've pushed all that out, fear of rejection, again, that's a lie that's come in saying that God's not going to show up the way he says he's going to show up, right? If I'm afraid of being rejected, you know what? Sometimes people are going to do that. The guy I wanted to date in 11th grade did not like me. And that stunk for me. That was really hard. But God still loves me. But if I allowed myself, which I did, if I allowed myself just to go, well, no guy's ever going to like me. I'm never going to get married then I won't because I'm not willing to put myself out there. So I broke off the spirit of rejection and then I trusted the Lord to go, God, you, you want me to get married. If I get rejected again, you're going to heal me and we'll try this again. So you just, you have to counteract the fear with the truth. Okay. Um, so one of the things in, in Luke eleven twenty four 24, it talks about, you know, the unclean spirit goes out of a man. He goes through the dry places seeking rest, finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he's like, hey, this, this place is pretty cool. I'm going to go get seven of my friends. We're going to come back and party. Um, what, <laughs> so when you deal with different spirits, um, I, we've talked about rejection, fear, per, um, perversion. Um, there's lots of them confusion if you ever feel like your head is fuzzy or you're not understanding i know in my in my relationship with my husband if i feel like i have told you this three or four times and you're not getting me i go after the spirit of confusion because it's like okay i i know your heart is good what you're saying should not hurt my feelings like this i'm so confused this is not who you are I go after the, against the spirit of confusion. So that's an example. But anytime you, you push the demon out, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come in. And I always go with the opposite. So if I have rejection, 
I, I release a spirit of love and acceptance. If I have perversion, then we release purity. If I have confusion, I release wisdom and truth. So anytime you're dealing with the spirit, just ask God, what's the opposite? And you'll get so good at it. You, you know, you connect with God so well, you don't always have to ask God because he's already telling you and you already know what it is. But I would say I still check sometimes because we don't always know everything. And maybe God wants you to release something out of the blue that's completely random, but it's exactly what that person needs. So always, 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 when you cast that stronghold out, you, you invite a characteristic of God in to take that place. So the seven demons don't go come back in and have a party. Okay? Um, so that's really important. And then um, I, I forgot to mention, when I cast a demon out, I actually send them to the feet of Jesus. Because this verse says, as they travel the earth looking for a place to rest, and they find none. Well, if they go to Jesus, to the throne room of God, they have to be dealt with. They're sitting in front of God. They're judged. They can't come back and mess with me. So I always say, you know, in Jesus' name, you're, you're going to go to Jesus. You're going to go to the throne room of God where God's going to deal with you. And then I release whatever it is is the opposite. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. And then just seal it and say, hey, God, we just, just thank you, Lord. Thank you. I always thank God for what we did. We always give God the glory and praise. We don't want the enemy to have a voice. We give God all the glory because the devil hates it. Okay, so always at the very end, Lord, we thank you for the freedom of rejection, from the freedom of fear, from the freedom of, of, of perversion. We thank you, Lord. We forgave all these people, and we don't believe these lies anymore. We give him the glory. Um, so those, that's kind of the semantics of deliverance that we go through. Um, I will tell you, just because you go through deliverance once or you do deliverance with one person one time does not mean that it won't happen again. It's an onion. God is multi, God is prismatic. His character is, is no, always changing, and that's the beautiful thing about him. And we're made in our image, so we're different. We're always changing. New things come up all the time. People have free will. I have free will. I screw up. People screw up. So you're going to have to come back and clean yourself up every once in a while. And that's okay. Also, sometimes people who go through deliverance need counseling. I had severe trauma in my life. I went through abuse. I went into deliverance, and then I went through four years of counseling because I had, to, I had to relearn how to think about myself because that devil, the enemy, had, was in my brain all the time talking to me until I got deliverance, and it was so easy for my brain to come back into what I knew for so long. So I actually had to rewire the way I think, and I had to go through spiritual counseling. So... I, I say that to be like, just because you get deliverance, you still need, sometimes you still need counseling. You still need help. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I would just say to like, how we talked this morning about the prophetic comes from love. So does deliverance. So if you're doing deliverance with somebody, we hate the sin. We love the sinner. We're not, um, we're not, coming at them angrily we're speaking to the to the demonic or the stronghold power, like with authority but we love the person that it's happening with and we don't shame them or look at them less 
Um, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but it's a free gift to be free and walk in freedom. And um, so I just want to encourage you. And, and also, um, I wouldn't focus on always, like if you find yourself, you're constantly focusing on looking for the demonic in the room, we're not doing that. We're, we're constantly looking for where is God moving? What is God doing? We don't focus or give our attention to what the enemy is doing. We focus and give attention to what God is doing. So um, it's, not, it's not what's the devil doing in our city. It's what is God doing in our city, you know? It's not what's the devil doing in our congregation or how is he, how is he assaulting me or coming at me or whatever attack. Yeah, you get attacked, but that's not where we put our focus. Our focus is on our God is big, our God is stronger, our God is greater. He's a God of miracles. He's a God of deliverance. And he came to do that for us. And he's good. He's actually really, really good. And he's not just good for Johanna and not for me. He's actually good for me, too. And so um, I just want to encourage you that we, we're not looking for that. And we're not um, doing things out of a spirit of suspicion. So I'm not suspicious of my neighbor. I'm actually, like, this, like we talked about this morning, we're encouraging our neighbor. We're calling out the gold in our neighbor. We're not um, looking for the spirits that they might have. So that's, that's definitely not the heart of God to be... Um, looking for the demonic, but we're aware, and we walk with a spirit of discernment. So you have discernment inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit, and every single one of you should have him in you if you're saved. So you can, he's actually the best counselor. He's full of wisdom. He's full of guidance, and you can ask him questions. I love, I love to teach people that you can ask God questions. We do this with our students in the Freedom Course all the time. Ask God this, ask God that. You have a question, ask him. And when you're in deliverance, we could sit here and teach you all day about deliverance. And I guarantee you that when you get in it, you're going to not know what you're doing. <laughs> Every time it happens, I'm like, oh, that's new. Like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do I do? Holy Spirit, where does this come from? And you can actually ask the person to ask the Holy Spirit. Two, activate them. Say, hey, ask, close your eyes. Ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what is going on with me right now? Holy Spirit, where did this start? Holy Spirit, um, why am I feeling this sadness? Where did this start in my life? And he answers. The Holy Spirit answers because it's always speaking. So I just want to encourage you with that. You don't have to know all of this stuff. You could actually walk out of this building right now and feel completely confused about what we talked about. But you Just still come against are... the spirit of confusion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So every single person in here, whether you've gone through 100 deliverances or you've never done one before, you can walk someone through deliverance if you are dependent on the Holy Spirit and you know how to hear his voice. And yeah, One of the things I forgot to talk about is soul ties. So um, soul ties is another way that the enemy can come in. And what a soul tie is, is it's a spiritual connection with another human being. And some of them are good, like marriage and children and friendships, covenant friendships. Katie is my sister from another mister. We have a covenant relationship. She's also my neighbor. Um, 
so she has to have a friendship with me. She's not allowed to not. I'm just kidding. Um, but we have a good soul tie, right? Um, but then there's bad soul ties where um, sex outside of marriage or um, an aggressive, we're calling an aggressive meeting between a man and a woman. Um, trauma between people causes soul ties. Um, and what you need to do is you have to cut those soul ties off, the unhealthy ones. Um, and, and you typically sit down with somebody and go, is there anybody in your past that's hurt you? Or you walk through common ways soul ties are created. Have you ever um, slept with someone outside marriage? Have you ever had an aggressive relationship with, with the opposite sex or somebody the same sex? Um, have you ever been in a situation that made you feel uncomfortable with another person? Um, and, and you just ask them about that. And then as they begin to share with you, you walk through forgiveness. Forgiveness is so key. And then you say, in Jesus' name, I break the ungodly soul tie. And I send back everything that belongs to them. Because what a soul tie do, it does is it shares things over. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? If they're dealing with a demon, I've seen people who had an ungodly soul tie with somebody, and all of a sudden now they're addicted to something they've never been addicted to before because of the ungodly soul tie that they had. Or they, I've seen very confident people all of a sudden have an extremely low self-esteem because of an ungodly soul tie. So you send back to them what's theirs, and you, ta and you ask the Lord to, to gracefully bring back what's yours, the good things about you, and then you, you cut off that soul tie, and you ask the Lord to heal up the pieces that were lost. And then you just go through deliverance. Of, okay, so what, what strongholds do you have because of that relationship? So that's, that's another way. Um, and then I'd also say after deliverance, it may seem hokey, but one of the things I do, we believe in prophetic acts. I'll actually do this. I'll go, in Jesus' name, I wipe off anything that would try to attach itself to me. Because that demon just came out of that body, and we even sent it to the, to the place of Jesus, but sometimes it wants to come back and mess with you. So I just say, nope, you're not, you're off in Jesus' name. You don't get to touch me. And, and, I, and it's for me, it's for me to do the, it's just a, a place marker in my head of, hey, I'm not letting this going to have an effect in my life. Uh, me wiping my leg off, that's not, the demon doesn't need me to do that. It's something for me prophetically that increases my faith that no, this is, today is the day you're gone, you're not touching me. That's really, really important. Um, if you ever write anything down, another thing, if you're like writing down, hey, this person's dealing with a spirit of perversion, this person's dealing with um, a spirit of confusion, I also tear that stuff up and I have the person throw it away. Because I don't, I, I, I want them to do the prophetic act of this is not part of me. If you're doing it on Zoom, then I tear it up in front of them. Zoom. How about Google Meet? Do you like Google Meet? <laughs> um, I tear it up and I watch, I show them and say, I'm throwing this away because this is no longer part of your life. Um, we just, those, those great visuals we can do help us partner with God uh, to, just to set in the person's mind that is not who I am. I'm free. Yeah. So after you close all the doors. Yay, the doors yay. are shut. <laughs> you get, this, is, this is just what I like to do um, is I just say, hey, guess what? That that demon, that thing that was affecting you, it has no right to be here anymore. So right now we just command that thing to leave. And it has to go right now. It has no authority, no right 
to be here anymore because you um, have already closed all the doors. So it has to leave. And it doesn't have to be some big, wild, scary, fearful, like, in Jesus' name. Like, remember that the person in front of you is a person. Like, they're a human. And they're not a project. And you actually love that person. And if you don't, if you don't love that person, you probably shouldn't be do, doing deliverance on them. And if you need to get love for that person, you can ask the Lord, Lord, how do you see this person? And get the compassion of the Lord before you even start. So, um because you, yeah, I mean, that person doesn't need to gain a spirit of rejection because of your deliverance session with them. And so then you can just command it to leave and, um, and fill them up with the Holy Spirit. Just Holy Spirit, come, fill every place. Um, it just reminded me of something. Um, sometimes when you do deliverance a lot, it's really easy to remember things about people. And they also feel like you remember you deal with some pretty serious stuff in people's lives. Um, so just be one, a, a good tool I use is, Lord, help me forget so that I can, and help me see them as you see them when we leave today. Um, because you don't want to walk around church with someone feeling off standish because they, they shared, now they're feeling shame because they shared that with you. So I actually do it in front of them so they know that I'm trying to protect them. Also, if you're, if you're someone who does deliverance a lot, I just want to just put this warning, like come against the spirit of judgment. It's, it's hard sometimes. You hear stuff that shocks you. So for yourself, to protect yourself, say I'm not going to judge this person. And I come against the spirit of judgment. That's not good God just judgment. <laughs> That's conviction. Okay. Um, also be careful who you talk to. It's, if, there, if someone's coming to you and telling you something and you do deliverance with them, you know, it may be easy for me to go to Katie and go, hey, I need to talk to you about this deliverance session I did. All of this happened, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sharing it because she's one of my closest friends and, and I want to hear her feedback. But what if Katie gets offended? Or, or this is not Katie, by the way, but what if she starts judging that person? You know, that's one of the things I have to trust her, and she's really good about that. But we need to be careful who we talk to about stuff. And she's super trustworthy, so I don't really worry about that. But also, try not to use names if you can help it. Like, sometimes I'll talk to somebody and go, hey, I was dealing with so and so, this such and such a thing, and blah, blah, blah. And, and someone will go, well, who is it? Well, I don't feel comfortable sharing that with you right now. Um, and then there's also times you hear things that are a danger to you, another person, or situation, and you need to tell somebody. Um, by law, actually, Katie and I are required <laughs> because of our job. We have to actually say we have. If some, we're doing deliverance on somebody and we hear something, we're actually required by law to say stuff. And I actually have to let them know that I'm sorry. Before we go any further, if you're going to tell me something, I'm going to let you know. I have to. I have to tell. By law, I'm required. Um, because of just our jobs. I'm not saying you guys have to do that, but where we work, it's, it's, it's a requirement. So, you know, those are just things to be aware of. Um, it is some, it, 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 you also really pray about it. If you feel like I need to tell Jeremy about this or I need to tell Mandy about this, like they are trustworthy people. Um, but always, I would always say, ask the Holy Spirit before you go and share something and even ask them, hey, I really feel like I need some wisdom. Um, just don't talk about people behind their back. 
honestly. And just be careful. Be careful that you won't judge and, and protect them. People need to feel safe. Yeah. And just to, um, this is something we probably should have said in the beginning. Number one, don't do deliverance on somebody who's not saved. Um, get them saved first. Okay. Uh, because if they're not saved and they don't have a relationship with Jesus, like we already talked about, the doors are wide open for the enemy to come in. So. Yeah, so just get people saved first and ask people if they want to be free. So some people don't want to be free, and you can't force it on them. You can't deliver somebody who doesn't want to be free. You, you can command the demons to come out. They're just going to come back. So there's no, don't waste your time. So ask somebody, hey, I, that's always what I start with. When somebody starts manifesting a demon, they're shaking, they're twitching, they're screaming, whatever's going on. Um, yeah, not in a Jesus way, like a bad kind of way, then I, and I will ask, hey, do you want to be free of this? Or you can ask them what's going on. You know, do you want to be afraid of this? And if they say yes, then go for it by all means and do deliverance. Yeah. And also just protect people. Like don't do a deliverance right in front of everyone. Take them to a side room, you know, just to protect them. And so they're not feeling shame. Um, yeah. Let's do it. We're going to take questions. I just feel like that's what we should do. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we, you know, we did some activation earlier. I don't feel like there's heavy deliverance we need to do tonight. Um, but we'll just open the floor for questions. Yeah. Yeah, if you have a question, you can raise your hand. Must have done a really good job talking. No, no oh, questions. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the best book I know. Um, there's a lady. She passed away a few years ago. Her name is Pat Legaco, and she wrote a book called Deliverance, so you can get on Amazon. She's from Oklahoma City. Um, she was my god. I think you need to buy that book. Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, the author is Pat Legako, P-A-T-L-E-G-A-K-O, and her book is Deliverance for God's People, I believe, um, and she's the woman I learned under. Um, but she passed away three years ago. So um, she's amazing. Anyway, yeah, so that's a good book. And then Doris Rag Wagner has one um, called How to Cast Out Demons. It's that simple. So those are two books. You can get them on Amazon. Um, and then also here at Bethel, we have a whole ministry called Sozo. It deals with trauma prayer. Um, and there's a whole manual. They've got conferences every year. Um, and uh, Teresa Dedman. No. Donna De Silva. I'm like, I just I saw her two weeks ago. I don't know why I can't remember her name. Donna De Silva is another person who does um, training. You can actually, they do conferences. You can buy a video on it. 
Um, she deals more with um, visualizing where God was, the kind of the things that Katie was doing before is seeing where Jesus was in a memory, um, different tools and things like that. That's Donna De Silva, and that's called Sozo Training. You can go to the Bethel website and go to the Transformation Center, and they have all that information on Sozo Training in there. Um, no, yeah, that's, that's, those are the three really that, that I've gotten a lot of training with. Any other questions? Okay, we're done. Jesus bless you. <laughs>